Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, where we look ahead to the events that will be making news. I'm Robert Miller. It's been dubbed Super Thursday. That's the day when the Bank of England will open a new chapter on the way it communicates with the market and it hopes with the wider public too. And what is happening to the once mighty commodity companies will be looking at three miners due to report results and more generally at commodity prices. There's also a number of insurers reporting a once boring sector. It's come to life. I'm joined by Philip Aldrich, The Times economics editor and columnist, Marcus LaRue, the industrial correspondent of The Times, and Mars Costello, our financial correspondent. A warm welcome to you all. And Philip, let me start with you. The Bank of England's Super Thursday. What is it, first of all? Well, this is very, very exciting stuff if you're into procedural changes. Um, the, the bank is going on Thursday to announce the interest rate decision at uh, noon, just as it normally would. But it's, uh, it's linking that up with the inflation report, which it produces once every three months. So that updates its economic forecasts. What it, you know, what it thinks inflation is going to do is the, is the key metric. So it gives you an idea of the trajectory of potential interest rate rises. And they're also going to release the minutes to August's rate-setting meeting, which is carried out over two days. And the decision will be made uh, late on Wednesday night. So the interest rate decision will be made late on Wednesday night. And the minutes will be produced in the morning on the Thursday. And uh, there will uh, these three three events which used to be completely separate uh, released on separate days so you'd get the you'd get the interest rate decision on one day you'd get the minutes two weeks later and then uh, on a completely separate day every three months you'd get the inflation report all three of those events are being amalgamated into just a single moment on thursday which it starts at lunchtime is this going to be good in terms of that these are three key events that have been separate in the past and gave people time to digest the information properly now you're going to be asked to look at it and react the markets will be looking it to react almost instantaneously so is this good or is it just information overload well there's there's a bit of both Carney, uh, the governor, has been very, very keen to make sure that communication is as clear as possible coming out of the bank and so what you had before was you just had a rate decision with no accompanying commentary which can lead to interpretation and supposition and no one knows exactly what the bank thinks then the minutes are released two weeks later and you find out what the what the committee was actually thinking at the time so in terms of in terms of making sure that the communication for the rate decision is clearer that that certainly helps and then linking that up with the inflation report um, again it it the idea would be that you will have one cohesive message on interest rates, on the economy, on the uh, on the outlook for inflation. These key uh, these key metrics that the bank uh, is keeping an eye on. So you know there is there is definitely logic to this. But then you know the, the big question is is there's, there will be huge information overload on that day. Uh, Mars Costello, I had a quick question. Is this also the latest example of the bank being <clears throat> much more like the Fed <clears throat> in the US? We've got Janet Yellen apparently being much more open and transparent about rates and which way interest rates are going to go and when. 
Well, the the Fed actually does release um, a bit of commentary around its decision, so it is it is more like that. And in a, in a way, the Bank of England has been a, been backward in 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 that aspect. Yellen and and Carney have both been signalling the direction of uh, rate rises. So, I, I, in in their speeches and in their uh, appearances before um, politicians. So I, I think in that respect, it it it, it doesn't change things. It's just it, what it does change is the sort of is the is the procedural arrangements uh, of communication around the actual decision and the announcement of that decision so that will be clear. And do, do you think there's an element of complacency here that, that the bank have almost become as bored by interest rate decisions that the rest of us have over the last few years that, that I'm trying to think how this would have played back in the mad days of 2009 when interest rates were going up half a percent at a time there was quantitative easing there were all of these un- unknowns and if you had all of in that kind of febrile atmosphere if you had all of that data all of that all of these shares being traded off the back of it all of the markets being moved double digits surely it would just unleash chaos having all of this arriving at once well because of the super thursday release because because of the 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 dump of all of this information at mo- uh, information at overload, well you know i mean the thing is markets will just pick uh, the key the key information out and i think you probably could actually see a little bit of a a little bit of a, a uh, volatile trading at the beginning uh, of, of the day uh, or after the 12 o'clock uh, rate decision and, and that's when the documents will all be released as people try to digest exactly what the bank's thinking is because there's a lot to look at but you know I, I, I guess this is the first time this is a trial run it's not a trial it's, it's, it's happening you know the, the, the markets will quickly work out which pages to look on in the inflation mm. report which they already know where to look and they'll look at this, the final two paragraphs of the minutes minutes of the meeting uh, the monetary policy committee meeting so I think they'll They'll certainly be able to absorb the information, uh, and it won't, it won't cause sort of sort of craziness. You, you've written about algorithmic trading recently. Raises the question, surely, doesn't it, that what happens when a lot of the, the, in the, the race between man and machine, when you have more documents, more pages of technical detail than any one person can wade through, and somebody can write an algorithm that fillets out the key words, the key sentences. Things could go wrong quite badly depending on how a document structured or the, the a decimal point. I mean, it, yeah, it's a good point. I mean, obviously, th- at the moment, the markets are following the central bankers' words religiously. You know, so the central bankers are moving markets uh, con- you know, considerably uh, and having enormous influence over the markets. So, you know, with with all this data to go through, um, uh, there is uh, and and given the power that they they wield at the moment, there is a, I suppose there could be an issue. I, I reckon these you know, algorithms they they uh, they they're pretty damn clever and they work extremely fast. So I think they'll they'll probably be able to handle it. But again, there may be some teething problems because uh, it's not happened before like this. Aside from how the markets are going to respond to Super Thursday, if I'm you know, your Times reader back home, and I normally pay, in, you know, I'm thinking about the cost of my mortgage when I'm looking at the, the interest rate decision. Will Super Thursday have any bearing on me? And yeah, I think so, so. Yeah, one of the interesting things that we might actually see is that this might be the first time we have different members, uh, we have some members of the nine strong monetary policy committee actually voting for a rate rise. It's possible that we could have as many as three. The two dissenters at the end of last year, Martin Wheel and Ian McCafferty, may may have uh, jumped back into the raise by a quarter camp, so we'd see interest rates go up by go up to 0.75%. Uh, and David Miles uh, recently gave a speech in which he seemed to signal that he has gone from being the most dovish member to joining the Hawks, possibly. So, you know, some guys in the markets, uh, some traders and, uh, and, and economists believe 
believe that David Miles may have gone from one end to the other and actually have joined those voting for a quarter point rise. So we could actually see a split, which, which you know, all year we've had 9-0 do nothing. Uh, we could actually see a split on Thursday of 6-3. And, and obviously, Carney did say earlier, uh, a week or so ago, that interest rates may rise. You, you should expect to think about interest rates rising at the turn of the year. Um, if you've suddenly got, if you move to 6-3 in August, you know, it becomes, you know, you only need two more people to get an interest rate rise, it starts to become much more likely uh, that we could be seeing a December, November, January sort of uh, interest rate rise. Well, the one, I suppose, advantage of them doing it now is that they can all go off on holiday while the rest of us are still here. And actually, the thought of the seaside and sunshine holidays may be beckoning, but I have to tell you, the UK earnings season is, in fact, still in full swing. We've got uh, interims from Fresnillo, Rio Tinto and General Energy. I mean, broadly speaking, Marcus, as our industrial correspondent and resident mining expert, what can we expect from them in, in terms of their sector? Since the last time we've heard from all of them, commodity prices across the board have taken another hammering, what some people are calling the, the second meltdown in, in commodities. So you can expect uh, you can expect to see that coming home to, to roost in the, in the figures that are updated this week. Three very different reasons behind that with Rio Tinto. It's, it's an iron ore story and therefore a story of huge overexpansion and softer Chinese demand with Fresneo it's a silver and increasingly gold story so the the, the US rate rises or the threat of it is is uh, hitting the, the price of gold just as a as an investment class um, and with with Ganel they've been really in a way the, the sort of archetypal oil company they don't have the, the big downstream operations that act as ballast for the, the BPs and the Exxon Mobiles and the Shells so they've got nothing to insulate them from from the price from the price of oil then you have the fact that they happen to operate in in the Kurdish region of, of northern Iraq which hasn't been a bed of roses recently so you've seen despite the fact that they've got some fantastic low-cost assets you know their shares are down 65 odd percent this year and there'll probably be more pain this week looking ahead I mean when they sort of update the market and perhaps you know, you'll be going along to the conferences and covering them and, and blogging them. The next six months, do we expect further meltdown, as you call it? It's a very, very good question. I mean, I think with, and it depends commodity by commodity, if you start off with, say, gold, probably the case with copper as well, that you're getting to, to a price level now where where the mining industry, the producers, are really beginning to struggle, which suggests that in the long run that that will provide a, a floor for the price because once you have people packing up and going home or the, the, the banks pulling the, the plug, then uh, the market reacts, supply goes down and um, and the price, re- the price recovers. Now, what's interesting and different about this phase is that nobody quite knows what's going on because of the volatility, which we haven't seen before in commodity markets on this scale, partly because the the big financial institutions that would have taken sort of sensible, stepped in with sensible kind of medium-term, long-only positions aren't there anymore because they're not prop trading. Um, So you've got much more volatility from hedge funds, especially in China, moving the prices of, say, copper and gold that we haven't really seen before. In fact, the the chairman and majority owner of of Fresneo, Alberto Balleras, the the second richest man in Mexico, said that last last time he came to the market, that that in this cycle, we don't know where we are. We just don't know what point in the the trough we are. There's no consensus uh, for once among miners about how long this is going to take. How important? 
important is China going to be in this round of reporting? Absolutely central, but particularly for for Rio, you know, they're they're one of the most important factors in the oil market. Obviously, gold is more of a more of a, a, a an investment case, so the the dollar is more important. But with iron ore, it's China, China, China. They uh, import something like two thirds of the world's seaborne, so globally traded iron ore, and iron ore is about three quarters. 80% of, of Rio's underlying earnings. So the the two pieces of the equation there are that um, iron ore is the key ingredient for China's urbanisation as China deva- China has a has a big, big construction industry problem at the moment. A bit of over... They've overbuilt. The steel mills have have stockpiles. That's going to weigh on the, on, on the market for a, for a long, long time, and it's it's all it's all China in combination with the huge expansions you've seen in Western Australia from Rio and from um, and, and from BHP notably. Now moving on to the insurers, Miles, your field of expertise. We've got RSA interested, obviously there because of Zurich, uh, Legal and General, Standard Life, Aviva, and Direct Line, all very, very different companies. But again, rather like Marcus, broadly set the scene for us on what we can expect. Well, at last. Robert, the insurance sector is not boring. It's um, that's very true, very we, true. We've got to be careful to distinguish here between general insurance and life insurance. So we've got both sets of companies reporting next week. Aviva is notable among them in, the, in that it, it is what's called a composite insurer. So it sells general insurance, but it also sells life and pensions, and it has a fund management arm. The others tend to be much more sort of pure play in one market or the other. So Broadly, in general insurance, the theme is very much about uh, what's happening in the motor market and whether uh, uh, it's not much fun for drivers, but it's good news for insurers if motor premiums finally start to uh, go up. I think according to the most recent survey by Towers Watson and Confused.com, the cost of cover is about 600 quid a year for a comprehensive policy, which is in the second quarter a little bit higher than it was in the in the first, which is finally giving insurers that sense that they're going to start making money out of selling general uh, policies again. So I would expect Direct Line will give us some colour on that, how what they've done with their uh, prices and whether they've gone off and sold more policies as a result of that. I think we'll probably get a little bit more on uh, where household cover is going as well. There is, there's been a lot of downward pressure on that bit of the market. Uh, investors will want to know which way uh, prices are going to go there. In the life market, we've got this huge uh, uh, seismic change in in, uh, pensions after George Osborne's overhaul of the um, retirement market. We're going to look for a lot of colour on how that's going because, of course, it came fully into effect in April. The uh, life and pensions providers were busy telling us throughout last year that they were selling far fewer annuities because of these changes. Uh, This year, they'll probably be telling us what products they've been selling to uh, replace annuities. But they've come under fire, haven't they, from a lot of consumer groups for actually saying that what the government is saying is that they're not playing fair with consumers. People are being told that they can't cash in part of their pension by some providers. Do you expect the government to actually, or or through the city, actually lay down the law fairly soon and say, stop it, we meant people to have proper access to their pensions uh, and you mustn't charge them so much? Do you think something will change on that front? It's been the big bar. I think something like 85,000 people have taken this you-can-cash-in-your-pension option, but there's been a lot of noise about how much it costs you and the hidden costs of getting out. In fact, only today, 
uh, Thursday, David Cameron has talked about uh, a cap on exit fees. Uh, previously, they've been as high as 20%, which is going to really hit your uh, the size of your pensions pot. Uh, there's now going to be a cap of 2.5%. All right. Well, there's plenty to watch out there for as well. Miles, thank you very much indeed. And remember, you'll be able to check out all those results and the other financial news as it happens on a pop-up business now live block. That's on our website. And if you are a Times subscriber, you can sign up to our daily morning and lunchtime emails. It'll keep you up to date with everything you need to know wherever you are. And if you don't have a subscription, we still have a special £1 offer. You can go to thetimes.co.uk. And if you want to hear us weekly, you can subscribe through iTunes. My thanks to Philip Aldrich, Marcus LaRue and Miles Costello. They're all on Twitter, so do please follow them. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.